Greetings, ladies and gentlemen. This is Open Mike Eagle recording live from the internet. Y'all know me, though. Y'all heard my voice for a long, long time. So this time I'm coming back at you, but I'm not coming alone. The Black Prince, could I be right? I brought the legendary Prince. World-famous disc jock, inventor of the skit in hip-hop, and damn, we won a Grammy with Chris Rock, yeah. On behalf of the super fans, yeah, cause I'm one, and the answers are for everybody. He got stories, so I asked for one. We having fun and laughs, cause he has a ton, yeah. And like that, a podcast begun, cause he answered, well, what had happened was. Good day out there, everybody. My name is Open Mike Eagle, and I'm here once again with the one and only Mr. Prince Paul. Yay, yay! (laughs) (laughs) And this is What Had Happened Was. On this podcast, we take a deep dive. We spend some time talking to Mr. Prince Paul about his illustrious career. (laughs) Today on the show, I'm going to talk about Another one of his projects is near and dear to me. Uh, spoiler, they're all <laughs> near and dear to me. Well, I'm sure I can name a few. <laughs> that won't be as near You're or right. dear. You're right. I, I, need, I do need to go back and listen to Resident Alien. <laughs> you are correct. Hey, man. But we're going to talk about De La Soul's second album, De La Soul is Dead. Ooh, this one is really reaching in memory banks for some reason. So why do you think this one's a little bit harder to think about for you than, than some of the others? Because it seemed like there was so much going on at the time. It's, it's kind of blurred out. And I think part of it, too, is it was pro- it was around the time that I was uh, my son was born. Mm. So there was a lot of things. Yeah, that was... I, I blocked out the entire first year of my son's life. I really have. <laughs> I think biologically, maybe you have to do that to survive it. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It was it's a lot going on. So, uh, you know, but hey, man, I, that's why I'm here, man. Hey, it's... <laughs> I'm going to get it together. Come on. I'm ready. <laughs> well, to set the scene, you guys are coming off of a, a debut in Three Feet High and Rising. Uh, listen to that episode if you haven't yet. But we talked about how that project exceeded all expectations of the label. Seen to make a really, really big impact as a debut record. And, you know, within that, it kind of sets off the Native Tongues movement. So you got De La Soul Rock and you got Tribe Called Quest, Jungle Brothers. This whole movement is happening, Queen Latifah. And so how is it that, you know, from all the success of that, you get to a second album and it's De La Soul is dead? Well, I think a lot of it, too, is, you know, having no expectations from the first album mm-hmm. to having every expectation in the world on the second <laughs> album, you know, it is uh, flattering in one sense and a whole lot of pressure mm-hmm. on, in the other. And uh, as I would mentioned, talking about Three Feet Nine Rising, there was a lot of, uh, I guess, pushback from the group based upon the imagery. The marketing that yeah. the label decided with the, the hippie aesthetic and the pastels. Yeah, it was all the, uh, the, the the colors, the you know the fonts, like everything. The day glow. <laughs> Fuck them fonts, dude. Yeah, I and hate the, them fonts. And them having to go beat up people. <laughs> you know, uh, that gets tiresome after a while. Right. Uh, and I remember 
um, Poss was talking, and he was like, if I refer to him as Merce every once in a while, so that's what I know him as. His, his name is Kelvin Mercer, right? Yeah, so Kelvin Merce Mercer. for short. Yeah, so I'll call him Merce every once in a while. Right. Not to be confused with Merce. Right. <laughs> okay. Uh, so I, anyway, he was talking. He's like, yeah, we should call this one De La Soul is Dead. I was like, oh, you should. Uh, He's like, really? I was like, yeah, that's crazy. Now, was that before y'all started making music? Was that while y'all were making songs? When does that name come up? Um, I'm not sure exactly when that came up. I would like to say it was before mm -hmm. we started. But I know De La Soul's Dead was to more or less kill off the old image. Right. So, that, so De La Soul is dead, meaning that whole look and whole perception is dead. Hmm. Starting with this record, it's, it's, it's a new. And is it communicating... Who or what killed it? I guess it's more or less addressing uh, some of the problems mm -hmm. <laughs> that they encountered. <laughs> you know, but it's, it's them killing it. Yes, yeah, them killing Got it. Got you. So, was it ever confused by anybody that it meant that the group was retiring or something like that? No, but it, it did leave a lot of, uh, I guess. Ability for the critics to diss the album. Oh, it was, yeah, it was an open door for them. <laughs> oh, what? It was just like, Dallas Soul is dead. It's not no three feet high and rising. You know, in hindsight, as I say, the 10-year rule, the record's album's brilliant. Mm. But when it came out, though the source gave it five mics, and right. people always go, well, the source gave it five mics. And I think a lot of it because they just like De La Soul. Right. Um, most of the critique was it wasn't three feet high and rising. You know, that was a high bar to set at the time. In the differences, because we're talking about De La Soul is dead. So in one sense, we're talking about the death of the image. Yes. The death of, you know, these are black hippies, peace-loving. Look, there's um, a dead daisy on the front. A dead, that daisy's <laughs> dead as hell. The daisy, somebody kicked the shit out of that yeah, pot. Man, look, it's not healthy at all. Did it mean something, aside from the image, did it mean some different choices were going to be made in terms of the sound? We'll get back into it in one second, but I need to take a quick moment and shout out our sponsor, DistroKid. Man, so many of my homies use DistroKid. It's a music distribution service that makes distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and artists keeping 100% of their royalties and earnings. A million plus artists rely on DistroKid to put their music on Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, and all the major streaming services. A million plus artists, and I swear I know at least 100 of them. And now DistroKid has an app. You can use the app to upload new releases, see your DistroKid bank, and get notified when you've earned royalties. You can even check your streaming stats live. The DistroKid app is now available on iOS. Go to the App Store and download it. DistroKid also has a new feature called Instant Share that allows you to easily share large files securely with collaborators, producers, booking agents, managers, playlist curators, and more. Basically, anybody that needs access to your music, there's an easy way to upload it and send them a link. Go to distrokid.com slash instant share, drag and drop your files to upload, and then you can copy and send your link right there. It's free to send one gigabyte of files. That's like 100 MP3s. Don't quote me on that. Go to distrokid.com slash open mic. That's distrokid.com slash open mic. O-P-E-N-M-I-K-E for 30% off your membership. 
I don't think we actually sat down and thought of the difference of the sound. I think as we recorded, it just came out that way. Mm. I think even if the sound would have been, I think some of the, the, the music could have been interchangeable for Three Feet High and Rides and not all. But I definitely think the, the, the subject matter changed it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like, you know, if we would have put the same subject matter on the first uh, music on the first album, it, you know, it, it would have kind of been the same science. You know, mm-hmm. it, 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 but musically it hadn't changed as far as like us picking music. We picked what we like. Right, still the same process of picking yeah. music that you like and making beats that you guys like. Yeah, it's just that we were wiser so the production got a, a little better the the use of the technology was mm-hmm. better the technology itself got better um so that changed so you know there's a, a difference to me in how we well I, sonically i could hear how the first album and second album progressed mm-hmm. you said there was a difference in terms of like the type of content like what y'all were talking about yeah what would you say the difference is as we were recording the album, I remember telling the guys, yo, this is a very mean record. It's mean. Oh, what? Mean, <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's, you know, I was like, and I'm thinking in the back of my head, it's like, I don't know how people are going to take this. This is like, this is a clear departure. I understand De La Soul's dead, the image is gone, but, you know, you're beating up people and so on, right. you, you know, you, you're getting uh, mad at people for, uh, you know, um, what was, was, uh, was Ring 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 on this one? Yeah. Ring Ring Ring, yeah, the demos. Like, single. <laughs> yo, yo, everything, if you listen to the album, they are addressing every possible thing that irked them mm. <laughs> from the time the first album was made to present date. So they're annoyed. What? You think? <laughs> <laughs> and and there's a lot of annoyance on the album. Like, Ha Ha Hey is the single. Very dancey single. Oh, you know, yeah. it's, it's super upbeat. I always thought, just as a quick aside, there's this little subtle piano in that beat that is just so beautiful <laughs> just sitting <laughs> back in the mix that I always like, damn, that's dope. That feels good. Hey, how you doing? Sorry I can't get through. Why don't you leave your name and your number and I'll get back to you. Thanks. The, <laughs> <laughs> the song, the content of the song is about people asking De La Soul members to listen to their demos. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and the whole uh, you know, ring, 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 ha, ha, hey, uh, is them giving out a, a phone number where, um, you know, you would call and get this message. Sorry, you can't get through. That wasn't the exact case. But let me tell you what we, what we used to do. People, random people come up to us. You know, it would be me, any member in the group. And here's how it would go. They would come up and like, yo, Prince Paul got this demo. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, won't you check it out? Like, oh, man, I don't have that much time. But if you contact uh, True Goy, he'll listen to your demo. Here's his number. Oh, and you used to legit give out <laughs> Dave's of number? Course. Wow. Numbers, address. We did that <laughs> all to each other. So, we, you know, you'd randomly get a call. Hey, this is, uh, you know. One example was a guy, Miles Tackett, uh-huh. who is part of Breakestra, whatever the name of the group out here in L.A. Okay. Later on, I met him. But he was one guy who uh, was a victim of this. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and they misinterpreted a line in there, um, miles, and mi- the, miles and miles of demo tapes by the pile. I yeah, think. yeah, something like, or yeah. piles, piles, demo tapes by the miles, or something, oh, right, something, something whatever. Like that. Yeah. And that, I don't think that was... 
towards him, but he was a part of that. And we would give away each other's number and get random calls and and like, oh, <laughs> oh he got me. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And we would and it was just funny. It was just funny. I mean, it's mean what you think about it's it. It's kind of mean. <laughs> it's it's mean to the person giving y'all the music. It's mean to each other in the group. But think about it. You're you're open mic eagle. Mm-hmm. I'm sure people give you demos or have well, or, now or they, links. Yeah, now they send me links. In my Facebook messages. In the, and, not, you know, of course, not naming names and not to be super mean because everybody's very sensitive nowadays. What percentages of those demos are bad? You know, I don't know. I don't listen to them. I swear. <laughs> Even I just, worse than me. Well, but I, I'm not sending them to Dave to make him listen to them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, you know, maybe Dave might like it. He's back hey, to the more receptive. You know, he might I, don't, thank I you. don't have time to, to uh, click this. <laughs> But if you send it to Video Dave, <laughs> he's got more time than me. You think how funny that is, though. <laughs> no, it's, it's it's awesome. Like it's it's certainly a television show I would watch. But if I was in the group, I'd be fucking pissed. Oh yeah, of course. I mean, look, we were kids. I mean, yeah. okay, yeah, I was probably 22, 23 at the time, but I'm still young. So right. I'm, I still act the same now at 52 as I did in my 20s. I hate to say. <laughs> I'm still <laughs> jokey and stuff. And, you know, I'm not as mean as I was, mean-spirited. <laughs> I mean, for the joke, right. you know what I'm saying? But I still have the same sense of humor, and it was just funny. You know? well, how often did this happen? A lot. All, all the time. Like Everybody every day? Everybody on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anytime you go out in, in public, somebody rhymed. I used to have kids come over to my house. I remember one time I bought my mom a house in Massapequa, and I stayed there for maybe like a year. And somehow everybody found out that I lived at this house mm-hmm. where I stayed at this house. I remember I hear a knock at the door. I answer the door. It's two little kids like, hey, I'm such and such. Okay, I'll let's think of a name. I'm Rappy and I'm Dappy. <laughs> and, 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 we, and we rhyme. And they start rhyming. I'm like, you know, how'd you know I lived here? Like, <laughs> and, and, you know, you with your girl. You might be out at, at you know, a restaurant or something. Yo, I, I remember when, uh, slightly off the subject, when Gas Face came out, Prince Paul, your Gas Face, woo, 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 woo. and I'm like, I'm trying to eat. I went oh, they would be making the Gas Face at Look. you while you out in public? Look, I would get stuff like this. I'm sitting somewhere, and I hear, yo, man, that's Prince Paul. Anything I said? Yeah. Then all of a sudden, yo, I rhyme in time, I shine, I'm flying, and they're just trying to get my attention. I'm like, Damn. I'm not looking at you. <laughs> I'm going to purposely not look at you. Please let me go over there. Hey, you guys sound great. I'm going to give you guys a deal. Here's a contract. Sign right now. You put that cigar back yeah, in your mouth cigar, again. Hey, hey. All right, you got what it takes in this hip-hop industry. You know, like... What do they think? That, that's TV. That's true. And that's random stories you might hear. Yeah, I was just chilling out in the mall, and all of a sudden, like, crisscross and Jermaine right. Dupree. It doesn't happen like that in the Prince Paul world. It does not. And I, plus, I didn't have the power to do that. Well, let me ask you this. In the dozens and dozens of demos y'all got, did you ever hear anything that was interesting? Did anything ever come of that that was positive, of, like, people trying to get y'all attention to pass y'all music, like, out in the world? No. Wow. I've had demos given to me. I mean, you know, we might talk about this in a future episode, like Paul Barman and certain mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. I would say maybe out of 100 things, maybe like two and a half things was good. Okay. It, and, and it was that bad. And, and you're right. After a while, you get so much, you're just like, it's just not interesting anymore. Right. You know, you're just like, oh, I don't got time for this. Even if it's good, you're just like, eh. Right. You know, but it, how something comes to you is kind of important, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, the presentation is everything. Right. So, uh, yeah, it was that was fun. You know, it's, it, it, I forgot about this. We, <laughs> we get this all the time. So 
Y'all are early 20s uh, around there. Yeah, we're early 20s at the time. You're coming off, like we said, the successful debut album. And so it sounds like y'all are really experiencing fame. Yeah. Which was, you know, in some ways kind of the goal, right? Like y'all are trying to put out records and be a big musical group. Them more so than than me, mm-hmm. you know. That's that's the benefits of being a producer. I mean, that's if you don't mind, you know, not having the fame. Mm-hmm. I'm cool with not having all the fame. Recognition every once in a while is nice, but you know, I hung out with those guys, and I remember one time <laughs> I think we we're going to Tommy Boy, coming from Tommy Boy, and oh my God, that's De La Soul, and then having to run inside a. Uh, I wonder if they remember this inside a uh, a clothing store and hide behind clothes, mm-hmm. and you know, and I'm like. And I'm just standing like this, like, you know, I'm, the, you know, I'm the ugly uh, friend. You know? <laughs> you know Nobody wants to t- talk to me, man. You know what I'm saying? So I'm like, cool, you know. But I, I at that point, I was like, you kind of want that maybe more so for girl recognition. Right. You know, but I, I couldn't do I couldn't deal with that on a day to day. So, yeah, they were definitely dealing with that. And how in your eyes, from your position and, and yourself included, like how were y'all handling fame as as young men? For me, I just took it in stride. I never. I I always thought that it's a temporary thing. Mm. I thought my career in general was going to be temporary or is temporary. So you know, I I didn't see it like oh, this is an ongoing problem. This is whatever. With them, I think because you know, and like I said, this is just me looking from the outside that they had to deal with this on a daily basis. So you figure it's not just the fans. I'm sure family members. You know, everybody. You know thinks you're that dude, you know what I'm saying? And the pressure's on. Then you have the label, then you have... It, it was a lot for them because it it came fast. Even though we had Plugtoon in as the first um, demo, and that was 87, I think came out, what, in 87, 88, somewhere mm-hmm. around there. Fame for them came pretty fast. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were just in the Busy Bee Mall maybe like three, <laughs> two years before. Right, they was working at the store. Yeah, and yeah, then... cleaning up, and all of a sudden, you're this phenomenon, world phenomenon, not right. just like a... Not you know, local, not yeah. neighborhood. You have a huge record that's that's breaking pop barriers, hip hop, R and B, like all platforms. So it, it's it's it was a lot to deal with. And De La Soul, at least back then, and I, I and how I felt about the music, and and it's definitely prevalent, and you could hear it on um on uh, De La Soul's Dead. They, they are pretty arrogant. Mm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like, and that's the beauty of it. It's like there's an arrogance of you know. You wear gold chains. Okay. <laughs> Please grow up. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And right. it's always been like that. And I, and I don't think they're like that anymore. And right. I wish that it was like more like that in the music. Really? But a lot in the, if you listen to the lyrics, even back then, it's almost, it's, it's a certain type of arrogance to mm-hmm. it. And, and, and that's, and that was the beauty, I think, of making, especially the second album, you could hear it. And creating the album, just like the first album's kind of held together by this game show thing the theme kind of running through it this one i think you take the concept even further in terms of wrapping the whole thing around a narrative you got this kind of schoolyard kind of situation <laughs> where kids find the tape right. of de la soul is yeah. dead yeah. and as you're listening as the listener they're listening and every you know few songs you hear their reactions to things oh this is so corny man this, this show's so never got a wit act man, rock, man. tell rock. me what are they saying man yo man i kind of like it man what you, you bugging how did this story come about 
Well, first of all, uh, that was Mr. Long played the lead from, yeah. from Black Sheep. And he's the epitome of arrogance. So mm. he's the perfect guy to play the leader. You know, and of course, they had Maceo um, and a he few other like people. The, Maceo's like the henchman. And... Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I think it was Aubrey Calabras who lived around our way. Uh, you know, Amityville. We, had, we always represented Amityville and had a lot of people from Amityville come in and do parts. Mm-hmm. That more or less came about. Because same thing, I'm listening to the album, and I'm like, this is a very mean record. It's dope, <laughs> but it's mean. It's a far departure from the first album. How do I make people, how, does it, how do I make it seem not as mean, and it's kind of a narrative or intentional? Or, mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, it, it, it's kind of, how do I control the narrative? So I basically, because it, it's just like in the first album, we talked about in the other episode, we talked about... Uh, you know, midway through, or maybe at the, at the, actually at the end, right? When you have all the songs in Three Feet High and Rising, you're trying to solve this problem of oh, these songs are dope, but these guys' personalities aren't coming across. Let me set up this game show narrative right. to create context. So in this one, is it at the end of all the songs again? It's at the end of all the songs, mm-hmm. and I was afraid that people wouldn't understand it and wouldn't take it right. So. It's almost like the psychology of dissing yourself first. Mm. Oh, I'm not great. Oh, so that oh, this album's horrible. It's the one that tape. You know, <laughs> so that's really what I was Man. doing. I was taking the, the some of the steam off of the critics and people who were like, oh no, I don't know what they're gonna, you know. So I wanted to beat them to the punch. Right. I don't know if I've even explained that to the group, but that was the concept. Did they have any reaction to the to the narrative as as they're hearing it? Not at all. Okay. You know, it, it, they were just having fun. L- let me also explain, like, and I didn't explain when we talked about Three Feet High and Rising, is that when I signed on to do these albums, as mm-hmm. far as, like, production, it was really supposed to be an album. And it was really supposed to be only Three Feet High and Rising. And I told them, what I'm going to do on this first album is I'm going to teach you how to I'm teach you all the equipment, all the production, everything. So by the time it comes for your second al- album, I'm going to step back mm. so when we approached doing to do this album i told them okay my hands are clean you guys start this album good luck and they were like no you're part of the group you're plug four mm. you gotta be on this album which was beautiful I, which i you know another crying moment it almost I, almost got you yeah, i, I see like, the little <laughs> a little glimmer i was like really guys you want me <laughs> and so if you notice the credits on this album is, you know, it's produced by both of us, mm-hmm. as opposed to the first album produced by Prince Paul and co-produced by De La Soul. This one, we're on equal footing because my thing was really, and I said in that, and this is no disrespect from Stetisonic, I might have been super um, sensitive back then too, was I didn't want to feel them feel as though I was controlling them. And I want them to be their own people. Right, because in Stetisonic, there was a center of gravity that kind of was overseeing everything and y'all didn't, you know, individuals didn't feel like they had freedom. Yeah. I mean, you know, and, and it wasn't like bad, but like I said, I might've been hypersensitive. Right. I was young. I was a right. kid, you know, and, and being an artist on top of that, you're, you're sensitive to begin with. For sure. So, uh, so that's how the approach for this album was. So I'm saying, keep that in mind as we talk, mm-hmm. like, you know, uh, there's things I did control and a lot of things that put it like this. You would come with me with a uh, a bunch of ingredients like milk, eggs, uh, you know, a chicken bone, and <laughs> you know what I'm saying, some some seasoning. And you go, okay, Paul, uh, uh, make a souffle out of this. And so I'm scratching my head, going, all right. And that was that was my job. It was mm-hmm. like here here are the pieces, Paul. Make it work. 
So since you had planned to not be involved, did they have to like re-sign you business-wise from like project to project? That's a very good question. Yeah, it, every it, it was restructured. Okay. Um, because the first album, if I'm correct, and I have to look at the contract because it's so long, I'm, I might have been signed almost as a member of the group, mm-hmm. as like a fourth member. As we embarked upon the second album, I'm I'm at, I'm a producer. Got you. You know, uh, even though it's funny that I, I step back more on on the production. You know, of, of being you know title producer, but um, the it was restructured the contracts. In terms of this narrative, this tying the album together that you're kind of creating to soften the meanness that the group is kind of demonstrating in some of the lyrics. So, like, did you write out all of this dialogue? Did you write no. the story? No. It, it, what I did was. Okay, this is the concept, and that's all. And then they just improvise the rest. It, it, it's, all, it's all improvised, and, and I would steer it, you know. Uh, okay, you know, telling the kids in the beginning, all right, you find this tape, you do this, da-da-da, da-da-da-da, you know, all the, all right, go. If you was a flipping on 45 so I can dance to it, you know, that'd be kind of slow. <laughs> yo, yo. It's whack, man. Yo, whack. I, I give that one props, too. Why are y'all dissing it? I, I, I like it, man. <laughs> <laughs> right, and then okay, that works. That works. That works. So you you didn't write dicks not butt crust. No, no, <laughs> oh no, that's the beauty of Mr. Long. You could just come up with that type of shit. Yeah, Mr. Long. Uh, back then, you know, and and, uh, <laughs> and I'm safe to say this. Now he's he's a mature adult, mm-hmm. and I think I haven't spoke to him in years. When I have, I was like, whoa, he's different. Mm. You know, he's very. It's n- nicer, you know what I'm saying? But back then, he was the guy who would be, and I know this, and he probably doesn't know I know this, that would, like, um, record records or record whatever, and the engineer would do whatever. It's like, what are you, dimwit? You're an idiot? Oh. D- can't you tell that? Da, 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 you know, like, he was that guy. Beautiful. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, I mean, not nice to an engineer. Right. You know, but he... That was just his personality. Right. And it, he was I, like a cartoon villain. Oh, what? And, yeah. it, and it was endearing in a way, if you knew him. You know right. what I'm saying? And uh, so he was the perfect person. Because right. he would come up off the top. Come on, man. He, he talked about MC Shan. You know what I'm saying? Like, I didn't tell him to say that. Right. I right. didn't have a problem with Shan. Oh, shit. He but, did kind of diss Shan. But it was funny. Right. <laughs> <laughs> did y'all ever hear from Shan about that? No. I, <laughs> hopefully after this podcast, I won't. Blah! Ah oh, man, this album sucks. Man, it's starting to sound just like MC Shans. I don't like it. <laughs> he's, he's, I follow him Instagram. He's heavy on Instagram. Word. <laughs> we'll, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll make sure we keep this clip far away from far away from Instagram. Um, one of the uh, meaner but also very entertaining parts of the album is a song "Biddies in the BK Lounge." And the "Biddies in the BK Lounge" is this three-part song about the group's different interactions with women in a Burger King. <laughs> and one, I think Dave is ordering, and the girl behind the register is giving him attitude. Yeah. And the second part, I think... Until uh, she finds out who he is. Right, And right. then she changes. Right, fame. All, all of this is, is, is stuff they dealt with. That said, it, things change, but keep going. I'm listening. Yeah, and, and second, Paz is the employee, and he's dealing with... This lady with attitude who's trying to make orders and end up having like a little rap battle real quick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then Mace is DJing and just talking shit. Excuse me, would you take my order? I have 
to go. Shoshona's got a real job, Dag, don't you oh, know? Oh yeah, it's you. Now I recognize yeah. the real, real Biddy with the fake, fake eyes. Hey. Just Yo, tell me everything about Biddy's in the BK Lounge. Well, as, as much as I can remember, I remember them coming to me and saying, hey, we're going to do the song, Biddy's in the BK Lounge. Part of it might have stemmed off that they did work at Burger King. Okay. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? At some part of their life. At least I know Merce and, and Dave did. Mm-hmm. They they worked at Burger King. And they said, we're going to put this together where it's three separate beats. And I'm like, yikes. So they come into it. It's like, okay, this is going to be a three-part song. With yeah. These three, that's tight. Yeah. We're going to have this beat for, you know, each MC, and then it's gonna change and go. I was like, oh, and so, and that's where, like I said, it comes in with Paul. Here's the ingredients. How to do, put it together, right? You know, and and they had ideas for for the music they wanted to use. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I can't take credit for that, but to how to how to sync it together and with the engineer mm-hmm. was was always the thing. And as they're recording it, okay, that's the technical side of it. We F- figure out how to piece it together, how to. Sequence. Now, mind this isn't Pro Tools. We don't. We're talking about tape, wow. and we're looking at numbers, and we're using samplers, and so everything's eyeballed. Everything's kind of figured out. You know, it's 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 a way different world. It, yeah. You know, it's not like you're taking a mouse and clicking and dragging. Right, and yeah. you could look at the the um the wave and and move stuff. So. Kids out there realize this is not an easy task, <laughs> as you can probably like, oh, I can do that on GarageBand. It's not, <laughs> that's not the case. Uh, I'll give you some tape and I will judge you then. <laughs> <laughs> so the technical part of it, that was out the way. But as I listen to the lyrics, I'm thinking, wait, this sounds like stuff you guys go through daily. Mm. <laughs> you know it's all the complaints that I would hear in the studio, like they were very agitated. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like they, that's like this is for me from the outside looking in. I'm, you know, they're like oh my god. Now, mind you, like I said, there's a sense of arrogance. So it's like, oh, can you believe that? And that's what came out on that song on three different parts. And and you called it out. You know, I don't know how Merce got into a rap battle. You know, Poss got into a rap battle. But I do know that. Not being recognized and Dave dealing with that, <laughs> right. you know, what I'm saying like living in the fast, like he flips off. <laughs> they last all right, no Tracy Chapman. <laughs> yeah, the, the sarcasm, right. yeah, you know, uh, and th- that's as much as I can remember about that song. And I was just happy when it was done. It's like I figured out how to piece that together. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, as a, I'm thinking as a producer. Yeah, for sure. Well, you know, more so than 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 the lyrical content on this particular song because it 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 required some thinking and it required like a meeting of the minds between I, the group, and the engineer. You know, I mean, is it? It was a different kind of thing. I'd never heard nothing like that. Like where I'm looking at a tape and I'm hearing the song and the beats changing, but the subject matter still is the same and i'm like it's just the same song like it, it yeah. was mind-blowing to me you know as a listener to that, hear something like that that's funny it's now trying to see it through your eyes i can see that mm-hmm. you know it, it's i think in making it i take a lot of it for granted in that sense of, of mm-hmm. it but i i you know I always looked at it as like same song three parts man it was difficult to put together <laughs> you know <laughs> but i never looked at it from a from an outside somebody going yo What's going on? Like, is this, you know what I'm saying? Like, what is this? I, I, it's I, it cool. Was, it was great, though. 
it was great. And to, to follow the different story, you know, like, because I'm like listening, listening, you know right. what I mean? And like, this is painting this picture in my head. And I'm like seeing this Burger King, you know what I mean? <laughs> and it was it's really a trip. You know, it's really a trip. Just kind of like the, the theater of the mind that's created and the different vibes and how it like switches you know, perspectives and, and like they switch roles from, you know, customer to employee. And it's, it's really a lot going on there. You no, know, I think all the songs, especially on the second album, are like that. Hmm. They're, they're you know, very picturesque. You know, they describe the emotions, the the, the scenery, the, mm-hmm. the people, the attitudes. Yeah, it, it's it's because they definitely want to let you know how they felt. Right. <laughs> you know, so it's beautiful. Another theme that was uh, prevalent on the album was references to this fictional radio station, WRMS. Oh, WRMS. I forgot what WRMS stood for. Mm. WRMS. I don't know what that... I, I remember that we we had put together the radio drops because we were thinking uh, the music. If it's not Elon Slow, then it's not WRMS. That Joe Sample, um, I, 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 that was what they had used for like the Quiet Storm. Okay, for, for in New York City at the time, and so it was so to New Yorkers, it was just a popular theme, and it was always the backdrop for late night. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, this is such and such, and we're gonna get, so that's why you hear all the smooth talking mm-hmm. at WRMS, and this goes out to the ladies, and da da da. And there were so many different things to put on this album because one we had obviously the the kids then we had this running thing with wrms mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what i'm saying it it was so many ideas <laughs> so well, well you know what it, what it makes me curious about is what was y'all's relationship to radio at the time radio was so important to music at that time so what was y'all's experience like dealing with radio well radio after you break those barriers were a lot more receptive hmm. you know the group has, you know, been tried, you know what I'm saying? And, and you know, the response has been good. And, and and so they built up a certain rapport with radio. And it's funny, in making Ring, 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 oh, let me tell you a story. The, the beat for Ring, 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 I had originally made that for Mikey D. Mm. Uh, Mikey D from Beastie Boys? No, Mikey D from the L.A. Posse. He used to be down with L.O. Cool J. Okay. He had this song called Coming in the House, and I was a big fan. He had won the New Music Seminar battle, and I was like, yo, cause I remember Rush had asked me, he's like, yo, who do you want to work with? Who's next? Who's next? I was like, I want to work with Mikey D. This is when you were doing your label under Russell Simmons. This was even before, okay. before, this might, yeah, this might have been before the label mm-hmm. even came up. This was early on, and, uh, he came by the house, and I don't think he was that interested. So, <laughs> so I I eventually gave it to 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 Dela. I don't know why I got off on that tangent, but that was considered a radio record just mm-hmm. by the melody and and just by you know the hook and everything else. And that's a record I don't think they're mad at, because <laughs> you know the label didn't pressure us to right. to put to make a radio record. That kind of came naturally, you know. But. Radio had been pretty perceptive after uh, me, myself, and I. Yeah, yeah, they 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 were okay. I mean, obviously, didn't get the rotation that a hit record like me, myself, and I did. You mm-hmm. know, but it it wasn't uncommon to hear a De La Soul record on daytime radio at that point. Right. You know, because back then, you know, 
your goal was to even make the the hip hop show at night. If you made that, you were just really, really happy. Mm-hmm. But man, if you made daytime radio, it, it, you were saying something as as a hip hop artist. Where now it's like soul, hip hop, and R and B all day. You know, it right. was not that right. in New York City. Right. You know, though I think L A. What had K Day and K Day, yeah, yeah. But K Day was on the AM. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it wasn't like it wasn't like everybody got it in clear quality everywhere. You know, it's different now, but then it was still, you know, it was like an experiment. Shoot, I wish we had an AMK day in New York. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, but yeah, so we, it, it was a, it was a big deal. And then across the country, you know, New York used to be the market to watch, and mm-hmm. that usually all the other markets kind of followed suit for the most part on certain songs. So once you made it daytime New York, you knew there was a good chance you can go across the country and your song would be played daytime. In y'all's WRMS skits, there's a lot of like different parodies of DJs. I'm one being the Doodoo Man. <laughs> this is where we get the Doodoo Man for oh, the first Jesus. time. Yeah, the Doodoo Man. Yeah, the Doodoo Man. So talk to talk to us about the Doodoo Man. It, well, let me tell you the origin of the Doodoo Man, and that would you know, it, which really isn't that interesting. <laughs> but you know, people always bring why close up the Doodoo Man. That's that's not cool. I used to randomly draw this uh this character with a cape and some arms <laughs> and it's a big piece of doo-doo <laughs> as I'm being you know very friendly for the, our younger listeners and I used to just put doo-doo man put a d on the cape <laughs> and somehow that carried over into my adulthood and and me saying doo-doo all the time and you know doo-doo man ha <laughs> so then I don't know some you know I needed a name. Do you have Do you have any of these doodoo man drawings still? You know what you know what the doodoo man drawings are. That doodoo emoji that you see. Oh, okay. Look, I have the doodoo man. If you if you do any research and anybody Google it, look at the the original um, character. It's the same thing as the doodoo man emo. I mean the doodoo emoji <laughs> with the eyes on it and the mouth. That's I made that. It, it, man, you know, I sound so bitter. I, made, I want a royalty. <laughs> I made that. It, that did not exist that I can think of ever until I had created that. Mm-hmm. And then somehow they took the cape off and <laughs> they put it in your phone. And now you put that in and you get a chuckle out of it. Yeah. That's you, the real you, doodoo man. But you were ahead of the curve with the doodoo jokes. Hey, man, I was, man. And, and so, um, you know, I had a beat. And I wanted to do a shout out thing because a lot of times, you know, on the radio, I, I did a parody of, hey, what's up? This is such and such. And I'm checking out my man, you know, DJ. Yeah. yeah you know, yeah. <laughs> so I was like, I'm going to put a bunch of these together. So we got Divine Styler. Mm-hmm. We got, you know, it was a bunch of different people. I was like, yo, just do a drop dedicated to the doodle man. You know, since we had this this radio theme running through the album, which, like I said, it, it's it's it's. I don't know why we did that. Like mm. it, it, it's, I mean, it seems in a sense because it seems as a listener like there's some type of commentary on radio. You know, like there's something being said about radio. Like I don't know whether it's um, pressure from radio or the hosts or just you know just the fact that you know music really depended on radio at the time. But it seemed like there's something being said. Yeah, I, I don't think there was an out and out commentary on radio. A lot of stuff was just us being silly, hmm. and I think WRMS stood for something. Man, I got to call. I got to call them and ask them like what it meant. Uh, I remember, you know, there was also rumors that that 
that De La Souls opened up a donut shop. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? There was, there was so many. That was a real rumor? Yeah. Because it, 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 I think they had said it somewhere like, yeah, we're going to open up a donut shop. And then all of a sudden it was talking about De La Souls opened up a donut shop. It was just, we had so many weird narratives and weird stories and weird things out there all at once. And it all came out on this one album. Right. Because then there was another running commentary on the album about De La Soul opening up a donut shop yeah. and then you know the girl on one song being mad because she didn't get a special donut <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and donut didn't stand for anything it, stand for nothing. it was just like a random dumb we'll open up a donut shop and it's just a callback yeah and then it just there was so many things going like like so when i think of of that time you know it, it it's almost blurry because it was overload of stuff mm-hmm. like i said we, i mentioned earlier like my son being born there was all the fame and pressure from making the record you know from coming off of three feet high and rising to making this record there was so many ideas coming in mm-hmm. you know where the first album it really was heavily filtered through me where i, where I would kind of sit and be the final word this was more shared mm-hmm. so you know when i when i look at it i don't see a clear-cut picture of order like a of a one of a singular vision is kind of just like all the things that y'all wanted to say yeah all at once yeah so so you know it, it it's 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 like um you know having being at a job and then you have the main boss tells you something and then an employee tells you something then the other boss says something you get so much you know instead of come from one person right you get it from all over the place and you go what, what huh, huh? so a lot of times when i look at this album I, it's just it's it's scattered colors to right, me, you right. know. It's just a whole lot of overload, sensory overload. You talked about the beat from um, "Ha Ha Hey" being something you made for somebody else. You end up repurposing right. it for this album. It's a quick tangent. There's a song here, "Peace uh, Peace Porridge." Well, Peace Porridge. Peace Porridge, and you ended up using that beat again later. Yeah, that initially that that beat came from uh, one of the guys in resident alien named double b mm-hmm. and he had came up with the loop and you know as always like i said you know give us the loop we'll do what we do with it you know mm-hmm. what i'm saying and that and he came with that and yo that rhyme style on peace part my name my name my name is the pasta now i like i like i like to plug the real thing so loose so loose so loose with the tap dance the funk the funk funky funky stuff i bring Okay, let me tell you one thing that that always get neglected um, and is never said. And I and I always beg Daylight to please do it again. And for some reason, they they are very reluctant. Is they were the master of rhyme styles yeah, and flows and melodies. We hear it from the first album, from even from um, plug, plug tuning. Yeah, me myself and I. Everything had a melody. Even mm-hmm. um, three's a magic number. Like everything, and. When I heard that rhyme, so I was like, "Oh my god, this is crazy!" Yeah, what? Yeah, it and, was. It's amazing, and I've always been curious about that because, you know, just in my rap studies, right? Right. A lot of the West Coast artists that I mess with used to come with all these crazy different styles, like Divine Styler, even like you just yeah. mentioned, like he's part of the Good Life and, and Project Blow, and these people just come all these, you know, whatever crazy style they could think of. And a lot of East Coast stuff was never really about that, even when, you know, it was people. Um, Going a little bit off the beaten path, right. that was like a huge deal. But then you had Daylight, specifically around this time, they would just come from the wildest angle in terms of like their cadence and, and patterns. Yeah, that to me, that was the beauty of a lot of the records was mm-hmm. like, 
it's styles and and rhythms that you've never heard before. Right. And they would grab them from all over the place, you know. Even uh, Powell's in my lawn on the first album, my rhyme sheet. Hold on, see. That actually came from a Bismarcky thing. Okay. Yeah. So they would pull from different places, different melodies. And to me, that's what really brought out a lot of the beats. The beats were cool. And like you said, Peace Parts to me is a really dope beat. But that rhyme style just made it right. priceless, you know. And, you know, look at Drake. Drake, that's that's his bread and butter. It is different patterns, different yep. cadences. Really simple ones, too. Really simple ones. But just sticking with it the whole time yep. and coming off some a, a different kind of angle you weren't expecting. And th- that'll be the whole song to where, and, like, he's made this new popular style out of, like, these just minimal choices. Yeah. yeah. And and now when you have a group, imagining the other person following with the same style. It's right. beautiful. Right. You know what I'm saying? And, and for some reason, just as much as they abandon, like, you know, the daisies, the this, the that. They abandon that too, and that's one part that I always disagree with them. Right. It's like you know, like do all the other stuff, but that's you. Yeah. Like, don't get away from that. And that's catchy. It's dope. Right. Nah, nah, we don't do that anymore. <laughs> but I, I'm specifically curious. Like, you use the the the, the beat for peace porridge on your politics of the business. Yes. Album. But I'm I'm just curious about like that decision to like use the same beat. Like, what what did what did that decision come from? Like, what did that mean for you? All it meant was like, yo, this is dope. Okay, you know, it, 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 it it's, it's this is still as that. dope. Like, yeah, this, this is dope. 10, 12, 15 years Look, later, you know, and I, I think part of it too is I came across the multi track uh-huh. of Peace Porridge, which, which I, which I have on a dad at the house, and I was like, yo, I'm just gonna rip this apart and reuse it. Word, you know, that's the only multi track that I have of the Daylight Record, <laughs> as, aside from well. Yeah, that's the only multi-track that I have. So I was like, yo, I'm just going to just repurpose it and just reuse it. And then that's why I got Doom and Chub Rock mm-hmm. and Wordsworth to rhyme on it. I love that damn song, by and, the way. And and I still didn't get my money. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to discuss. <laughs> we're going to very much discuss that on a future episode. Yeah, I don't want to go down that or, road yeah, right we're, now. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to yeah. get angry Paul on that day. <laughs> well, what had happened was... So... This is obviously a very intense process of putting this record together. Yeah, yeah. And one would assume coming off of a successful debut that y'all have more money to put this one together. Yeah, there was there was more money. I don't remember. I honestly don't remember what the budget was at all. But mm-hmm. I know it wasn't a problem getting money to make the record. You right. know, it's it's one of those things like the first album. Can we just get like $10 to get a pizza? Oh, <laughs> that's going to be recoupable. I don't know if we can have it in the petty cash. <laughs> right. How many toppings y'all talking yeah. about? Like, <laughs> yeah. It was critical. Right. This album. Now we made the, the company, even with the lawsuits. They made a hefty profit. Mm-hmm. They, they're, they're doing good right now. There's a new office. You know? <laughs> right. like, oh, what? There was a new office. There's a new office. There's mul- There's massive staff. You know, right. life is good for Time Boy because they now they got Queen Latifah. I think maybe House of Pain might made us right. might So they're they're moving right mm-hmm. and selling. So it wasn't a problem asking for things and getting things. Mm. That I do remember. The dollar amount, I'd have to look at the at the contracts. Well, making the other album for under 20, it, I guess if we got even like 100,000 or 150,000, that would be substantially more yeah. Yeah, to yeah. make the, the second record, you know. But not like amazing money by, you know, I, I'm not even sure what today's standards are, but mm-hmm. not those deals like, yeah, man, you know, uh, Dipset got $3 million. You know, yeah. it was nothing like that. I don't yeah. think it's the same like that 
today. Yeah. I don't think, you know what I mean? Who knows? Who yeah, that was what these that, days. That was an isolated era, but we, we weren't we weren't there. <laughs> I know that. So how did this one end up performing? I mean, what are the expectations from the label about how the second album's gonna do sales wise, you think? The second album, I think now, since the first album, it's it's funny. And, and this is here's the the irony is that though the first album didn't go gold at the time, they're expecting this album to exceed. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, it didn't go gold, but there's expectations for this to sell crazy. Right. It was just confusing. It's like, you know, if the goal is to sell a couple hundred thousand more, then why are we getting all this money to make the second record? Right. If it only sold 200, 300,000, yeah, you know so what I'm saying? Something ain't adding up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So now our budget is that much bigger. There's much more press. There's much more push. Mm-hmm. You know, do you think we're going to hopefully go gold this time? You know, I don't know, but it was just it was just a weird setup. How did, did it end up performing better than the first one? or No. Um, so it was said. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I, I kind of want to say the record went gold. Did it? I think it went gold. Yeah, I think I think the second record went gold. Whoa, I don't know what my record sold. I know I have plaques on my wall, but I don't I don't remember what they're for. And, <laughs> and I, <laughs> you know, that sounds mad arrogant, right? Oh, I don't, sad Paul. So many plaques, I can't remember which one goes to which album. No, no, no. I, I I'm trying to think of, of, of the plaques on the wall, but you gotta understand some of my plaques that I got for De La are like Canadian overseas where gold was 100,000. Mm. Platinum was, you know, maybe double that. So, it, it, you know, that is just different. So I got plaques. I got to see which ones apply to my actual U.S. sales. Right. You know. Researching this album's kind of interesting because I only had the tape version. Right. So the songs I'm familiar with are the songs that are on the tape version. And this is probably one of the... There's different versions? Oh, my God. I didn't even know that. Dude, there's a bunch of songs on the CD version that aren't on the tape version. Really? Like what? I'll give you a run through. That's sad. I don't know this. My Brother's a Bass Head. Oh, that's on the CD, but not on the tape? Yep. Okay. Kicked Out the House. Kicked Out the House. You got kicked, kicked out, out the house. house. Hip House. Kicked Out the House. For <laughs> good. <laughs> okay, yeah. Who Do You Worship? Who Do You Worship? <laughs> <laughs> The original one was really good. And then it got changed? It got changed because I couldn't use the sample. I see. Oh, it was a a Jose Feliciano sample, and I couldn't use it. So we had somebody replay it, and it's nowhere near the same thing. The the original one is so much better. If I could find it, I'm going to put it on SoundCloud or something. You mentioned just now that you had to not use a version of a song that you liked because of a sample issue. Now, you're coming off of... Three Feet High and Rising, which has one of the first big lawsuits in hip-hop about sampling. We covered that in our episode about it. Are you finding that there's a lot more caution when it comes to sampling on this album after what happened? Yeah, the label is very mm-hmm. sensitive. You know, it's like, what's that? <laughs> look, I went, chicken, chicken, what's that? <laughs> I'm like, you can't determine what that is. We got to we, we gotta look into this. So, you know, when I handed it in, they were like, nope. Mm. You know, I guess they looked it up and it was so such an insignificant piece that it wasn't going to really bring in any money. It wouldn't make sense. Let's say hypothetically, it was like twenty thousand dollars to clear. That's, you know, a real song. It would make sense. Right. But for that little piece, it was like, you know, I'm not saying that's what happened. Either we got dissed and we got denied or either it was just too expensive. Got you. 
So, yeah, getting back to like the song order or the differences in format. So that's a surprise to you. Yeah. Like I didn't know. Like I have the album. Man, I only have one copy of my album. I I have a cassette I'm, and I have the CD. But I don't I don't remember how we sequenced it. You know, the cassette. I guess for continuity of sides, A and B, and 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 the length, the the cassette, and everything, that's why a lot of times there were less songs, and especially albums too. For wax, there's less songs because the more songs you put on, the quality starts to, mm-hmm. you know, decrease. And then if you already add a double album, it's a lot more money to make a triple album. True. And so, a lot of times, a lot of those got kicked off. But CD was almost. Almost infinite, you know, we right. get like 70 something minutes yes, or whatever. 72. Yeah. And so that, that was more than enough time, I think, you know, uh, at that point for what we needed. But a lot of the other things got got chipped down. Like around that time, I guess, is when the industry is really moving into CDs anyway. I think they're a little cheaper to make and you can put more stuff on them. So it seemed like the angle was we'll put all this bonus material. You get a you get more songs if you buy the CD to encourage people to buy the CD. Yeah, perhaps. Yeah, I don't know what the angle was. I know on a technical standpoint, we were just limited by mm-hmm. the other formats. And so then you don't even have a say in what songs ended up on the CD or or what didn't end up on the tape. I think I think to a certain extent, you know, it's, it's one of those things like, ah, here goes the album. You know, we can't fit all this music on this album, Paul. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm kind of forced to kind of just, okay, this, 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 or maybe suggested, or even there's times where, you, you know, I know this for Set to Sonic, maybe not, maybe even so for Daylight, where you go, what version of the record is this? Why is this edited off? You know, mm-hmm. like a record that might have been eight minutes long is like four minutes with a bad edit in the middle. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it comes to rocking up, and, and you're like, whoa, what's that? Uh-huh. And it, you know, well, we had to cut it down, Paul. It was, uh, you know, you know better. Wow. So, like I said, one of the songs that's not on the tape and thereby I wasn't really very familiar with it until I encountered the song like later in life is um, My Brother's a Basshead. Yeah. Which is, you know, a really deep song if you understand that this is like based on a true story. Yeah, for for Poss, yeah, it it is. I, I, I don't think I don't feel like I'm at liberty to talk about it because mm-hmm. that's his own story. But I know he was going through that at the time, and he was very hurt and very upset. And it and if anybody gets a chance, if you haven't heard the song, listen to it, and you could really tell what he was going through. N- not to skip around, but that's the beauty I I I like about a lot of these Daylight records, and even this one is they're never afraid to express how they feel it's true art to me like when you just put everything aside and you just express your feelings and your viewpoints and i mean even songs like the santa claus one millie pulled a pistol millie pulled a pistol you know it it, even in that like it's they don't ever really sit back Mm -hmm. you know what i'm saying it's like this is how i feel we're gonna make a song about it and that was a question i had like was there you know because i could see being in the studio and being like i got something to say about this I'm going to make this song. I'm going to put it all out there about my real brother. Right. And I'm, as I think about that, I'm wondering, like, as the recording process gets further along and you're hearing this album back, is it ever like, ooh, you know, should I, should I take that off? You know, should I, should I say that? 
I'm sure he has had, and the group in general has probably had some regrets and, and you know, say, looking back, and especially if things change. Right. You know, relationships get, get mended and, you know, um, you know, things move on. But they have never expressed it to me. Gotcha. You know, where you're Paul, man, we did this and... You know, but I would imagine, I know I would. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? I mean, I've certainly, I've, in my own album making, like, I have hit a point um, in, a, in a creation process where I'd be like, mm, that one's a little too dark. Let me take that one off the album. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. And then, you know, it doesn't end up on the final version. So I was wondering if that had ever come up. Um, let's listen to a little bit of that song, because I think that was not only interesting for the subject matter, which right. is super vulnerable and super relevant to the time. Oh, what? It's another one where, like, the rhyme style... It's so different. Like, nobody was coming with patterns like this. Not at all. And, like, he was kind of, like, the, 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 his cadence was playing with the cadence of the beat a little bit. We'll, 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 hear, it, we'll hear it right now. This is um, my brother's bass head. This song does not contain explicit lyrics, but what it does contain is an undesired element. This element is known as the bass head, the lowest of lowest of all elements that exist. And the sad thing is, this particular element is my brother. brother. Brother, brother, old oh brother of mine. We used to be down as partners in crime. From our parents, nickname was Forge. I was the beaver, you curious George. Wanted to expose to this and that, but curiosity had killed the cat. At this age, no one was red, so this was the fate that you were fed. Throughout high school, our minds be waste. High off all the cheer that we could taste. Soon you had converted to naval sports. Every five minutes, I came to snort. And it's occurring to me listening to it, too, uh, that some of our listeners might not even know what a bass head is because that's not really a term that's used anymore. But, yeah. you know, to make it clear, a bass head was something, you know, in the hood. This is the way we refer to a crack addict. Yes. And that made me think about, too, like, you know, a lot of y'all's story as De La Soul and you as the producer of De La Soul is being from Long Island. And, you know, specifically how that's like part of the music, that perspective. Right. And, you know, Long Island's New York City, but it's a little bit outside of the five boroughs. But in this era, you know, this is the crack era. Like, this is what, like the height of it. What it hit everybody. And right. you got to understand, like, living in Amityville, well, he lived in Massapequa, which is all the same school district where he mm-hmm. lived in. We had the drug capital of Long Island, which was called the Block, which was Albany and Great Neck, the corner. It was in the news. It was in the Whoa. newspapers, like, constantly. Like, it went down over there. So, I mean, drugs were always readily available. And not just that place. I mean, there's other pockets, but that was, like, the big—that was, like, a super supermarket for drugs. Wow. You know, you you, you know, you see people walk up there, like, hey, let me get—and then just come out, tore up, mm-hmm. people crashing cars out of it. It's, wow. It was just really, really bad. I mean, it's, it's, it's tore down now, and there's, like, a daycare and all this other stuff and, a you know, a little small police station, you know, I think a— Dollar Tree, I don't know what's over there, CVS or something like that. But yeah, it was uh, it was like that, and and yeah, it it, it was real. I mean, I remember in high school, kids you went to school with that you would least expect was he started smoking, mm-hmm. and then you see him just wandering the streets and getting skinny, and whether you know prostituting or whatever they were doing, uh, or and even the the kids you wouldn't expect to sell drugs were selling drugs. You're like right. him, right? Because it's two sides of it, right? Yeah. You got the people using, and then you got the people selling, and it's all people in your case or in y'all case that y'all grew up around. Yeah, you know, it, and it, it was either or, or, or it could be friends, parents, or, you know, some siblings you don't know, 
that you find out. But uh, but yeah, I was like even more shocked with like some of the nerdy kids who were selling drugs. I'm like, you're not built for this. Like right. you, like you know, you're corny like me. Like what do you? <laughs> you're cornier than me. <laughs> you know, it, I don't know. Just a, it was a weird time. I'm, I'm, I know it's a different drug of choice now. Right. But crack was horrible. And 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 in, in all in all phases, it was just not a good thing. And I think that you get some of that pain, like you hear him talking about just growing up with a brother, and seeing the transition and the change and how like it devastated him. And I think it's just a perfect, you know, summation for how the crack epidemic hit black communities everywhere. These are people you knew and loved that that are getting their lives destroyed. Imagine, you know, you pattern yourself after, the, you know, whomever and, you know, this person you look up to. You know, it's like, find out Superman is a crackhead. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like, he saves me like, yeah, I want to be like him. You got the poster on the wall next thing you know, he's like, yeah, man, you know. He he, 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 he flew into your house and stole your TV <laughs> and sold it, you know? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You're like, well, I always loved Superman. What happened? Damn. You mentioned earlier Millie pulled a pistol on Santa Claus. This was another story with kind of dark undertones yeah. on the album, you know. Uh, you, you get the lighthearted mean stuff on here, and then you get kind of like this <laughs> it's dark... a very deep album, man. You get some dark, heavy stuff. So, yeah. like, this is a story about a girl that gets up, that gets molested and ends up shooting her dad, who is her molester, who dresses as Santa Claus at the mall. Yeah, that's deep. It's crazy. It's a very deep record, especially for a Santa, you know, Santa Claus right. and Christmas time and... Yeah, I, I think that beat pulled that out of them because hmm. I, I had put that together and I loved it just as instrumental. You know, I love I love Funkadelic, right. you know what I'm saying? And that was just a joint that w- was untapped at the time. And I was and I'm just grooving to it and Pos came up with the idea. He's like, Yo, this is the concept, this is what I'm gonna do and I was like, Whoa, this is this is kinda heavy. Right. You know, like I don't think anybody's talked about that and I don't know if anybody in the rap songs talked about it since. Right. You know. At least in in that context, yeah, that context, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. It was, I have to say this, you know, is uh, and it and it goes almost without saying, but I like to say it is that those guys are so genius. Mm-hmm. Like you know, it, it's to me they're true artists, and and I have to repeat this again. I couldn't have been put in a better situation with a bunch of guys that we complement each other so well. Mm-hmm. And and it's almost a crime that we don't make records anymore. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it is a crime. Not almost. It very you know, is. You know. So you got this song that's really dark. You know, my brother's a bass head. And, you know, there's, like we said, the lighthearted me and stuff. And there's some fun songs on there, too. How was it received by people? Like, criti- well, let's start with people. Just people. Like, pe- hip-hop listeners. What did hip- they think? Hip-hop listeners. Now, we're talking about at that time. At the time. At the time, it it seemed mixed. You know, it was like, oh yeah, we like it. Yeah, it's cool. But every but the bar was always three feet high and rising mm-hmm. at that time. And I say it again, the source gave it five mics, which everybody always points to, but they have five mics. But I'm on the receiving and hearing the criticisms. Mm-hmm. And people are like, it's not three feet high and rising. You know what I'm saying? And it's not this and it's not that. And I knew that what the criticism was gonna be, hence me making the the skit, right. <laughs> you know. But the one thing people appreciated about it, it it was a little more grounded than the first record. The first record was was definitely super experimental and kind of all over the place. Even though I say this one was all over the place, this just felt a little more accessible. It felt like things happening to real people. Yeah. 
Yeah, and and, and I think it, it hit people a little different hmm. differently. And I think that's why, even though Three Feet High Rising will get all the accolades, and and I failed to mention that it made it into the Library of Congress, wow. uh, along with Take Me Out to the Ball Game the same <laughs> year. Even though it did that, I think as time moves on, this one has more staying power with people because you're right, it is more attainable, it's more accessible, it's more real in that sense. Then people like mixed. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, it's it, the people only think about three feet high and rising, at least the kids on the street. Right. You said earlier that you feel like now, though, you know, or 10 years after what you say is a rule for oh, a lot of your projects that people look back and say, oh, this is brilliant. So, I mean, what, you know, aside from comparisons to three feet high and rising, like when people talk about De La Soul is dead now, like how do they talk about it? They just talk about. I guess more or less that it was their one of their favorite albums. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Like people will mention Stakes is high a lot. Yeah. Uh which which was kind of the tail end of me working with them. Not so much I I'm not on there credit wise, but we started that album together. I just didn't we broke up during the making of the album. Right. People mention Stakes is high, but always a favorite would be would be this album. Do you and I know your memory of the album isn't as defined or as clear as it is about some of the others, but just thinking about it, do you have like a favorite song on De La So Is Dead? Man, you you know, there's so many great songs. Um, and I'd say it because I was involved in it. All those songs depends on the mood I'm in. Hmm. You know, I could listen to Millie Pulled the Pistol um, and just close my eyes and just really get into the music and, you know, the rhymes, the rhyme patterns, the you know, and it's a deep song. It, it, it almost puts a chill down the spine when you finish listening to it. Or I can just, like, make a screw face and listen to uh, Peas Porridge, you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, because it's just so ill, you know? It, it's I mean, this, I mean, it, we only covered, like, those songs, but there's so many dynamics to it and so many Absolutely. moods. Um so it, it's uh, it's hard to pick a favorite, but if I had, I would probably say Millie, mm-hmm. Pull the Pistol, might be my favorite. Did you ever hear when The Roots remade that? Did The Roots redo it? Yeah, The Roots did a dope. Wow. Redo, like super moody instrumental. They put a bunch of like sleigh bells and what? shit in it. It sounds. I got to hear it. So let me see if I can pull this shit up real quick. I have never heard that. Wow. Right? He pissed it down like bubbles. Enough to make it, man. I've never heard this before. Yeah, it was crazy. When, when was this released? That's dope. I think I first heard it in like '98, but I don't know when. Whoa, it actually, it's been a minute. Yeah, it's wow, that's very, dope. It's very old. Woo, um, Jesus! You know, a lot of these records are about legacy. I know that's not something you think about, right? But it's just something like from my vantage point, like I can see like just the crazy impact of stuff like this. You know, like the crazy impact of these guys with these different perspectives making this first album that nobody expects anything of, and then they blow up. 
And in all of these interactions they have around the way they were marketed and how like the success produces all of these these little annoyances and 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 uh, microaggressions that they end <laughs> up you know making these songs about and for as dark and as angry as it is sometimes it's so vulnerable oh it's very vulnerable and that's the beauty of i think them in general is right. they 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 don't show uh they show all the imperfections you know and they're and they're cool with it you know, as much as there's the arrogance and the, you know, well, I can't believe you guys did that. It's like, you know, we're not that either. You mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? So uh, it, it, it's getting back to that. It, it, some of it's starting to come back to me. I remember being at Tommy Boy and the group, if, you know, we'd sit in a, in a, in a meeting, you know, with the, with the label. And they were like, well, we want you guys to do, I don't know. I'll just think of something random. Uh, to walk around with, what do you call them, sandwich boards? What do you put over you? Yeah. <laughs> and, and promote your album, they go, we're, we're just going to quit. <laughs> <laughs> and the label will get all nervous. So it's almost like if they didn't get what they wanted, it was like, you know, we'll just quit. Right. It's cool. We just won't make any records. We'll, we'll quit. And the label was like, oh. <laughs> Damn. And, they, and it seemed like they, I think they were very serious at the time. They always threatened to quit. Oh, okay, then, then we'll quit. And it was like, Wow. <laughs> I just had a flashback of, of meetings. No, 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 we'll quit. Babe was like, oh, no, 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 don't quit. Well, you've inspired <laughs> me to take that I'm a quit energy <laughs> into the rest of 2019. I'm just going to walk in and be like, okay, all right, cool. Yeah, you know, I quit. Man. Two fingers. <laughs> Open Mike Eagle is dead. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I just quit, man. Any final words about the album for you? Like I said, it took me a minute to really think about a lot of stuff, but looking back it was a lot of fun to make mm -hmm. you know i it, it it was a lot of pressure from the label and a lot of pressure on myself because think about it too man like i'm looking at like wow okay i made this record that became i don't i don't know it was like so iconic mm -hmm. as far as hip-hop is concerned just music history in general how do i follow up right so it was a lot of pressure on me you know and it's pressure with less control mm -hmm. <laughs> so how do i make this work you know so Looking back and talking about it, despite the pressure, it was a lot of fun because I've, one, learned a lot about the groups through the songs. Mm -hmm. I mean, we would sit and talk, but there were things that weren't expressed or just things that became subject matters as we made the records. That happened? When did this happen? Why did, you know, because now right. I'm listening to the lyrics and I could sit there and ask them questions about the lyrics and, you know, what, what made you do this? What made you do this? Just as much as you're interviewing me now, I can't mm -hmm. remember all the things because it was back then, but it was fascinating to me. And I just think that they're, they're extremely fascinating people. So listening to this album really opens that up for me again. And, and man, I wish they would really go back and do this again. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Be these, you know, this vulnerable and, and make this this type of music personally, you know. But everybody grows older and they change. True. Things. And it, it gets harder to be vulnerable over it, time. It, it, it does. And I think that's part of the story of the album, too. It's just like they come out fresh and naive into the world doing whatever they want and, you know, whatever, you know, brilliance they displayed. And then in some ways, you know, it's taken advantage of by the label. In some ways, they're attacked for it <laughs> <laughs> in terms of how people treat them. And it's a tough thing to continue to do over time and it's like in some ways it's only natural that people start to like fold in and protect themselves you know 
So I think it's really fortunate we got a chance to like hear a little bit about that process in these songs <laughs> as they're starting to fold in. It's it's definitely a diary. If you listen to the De La albums, and, and I can only really say for maybe the first three, and I would even go the first four, it's it's really a look into their lives, mm-hmm. an, an honest look into their lives, and not necessarily something that they want you to make you think. Right. You know, like, I'm doping, I'm doing this. It's really, you know me writing my feelings and my emotions out on these songs. And it's, it's, it's beautiful. It is. It is. And it's beautiful and it's impactful. And uh, we're very fortunate they wrote the stuff and you produced it and put it together brilliantly. And Woo-hoo! one day, hopefully, after all of this Tommy Boy mess is sorted out, <laughs> we can Please. all listen to it. That would be nice. <laughs> on streaming services. Jeez. But uh, thank you all for listening to this episode, however you're listening to it. Uh, I'm Open Mike Eagle, and once again, I'm here with Mr. Prince Paul. Yay, yay! (laughs) (laughs) And this has been another episode of What Had Happened Was. (laughs) 